0: This is S.A.F.M.
1: Thanks very much, Greg. But right now, you have got lots to listen to here on SAFM, not least the Enviro Show, which is coming to you right now between uh, now and 10 o'clock. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thanks, too, to the team for what they are about to do. There's and Kim Winter, and I'm Nancy Richards. And if you'd like to share with us at any stage, do feel free. You can call us on 0892 10 2010. That's the number right here in the studio. Or you can pop us a, a post on our Facebook page, which is The Enviro Show on SAFM. Enough of uh, all the notices. Let me tell you exactly what we've got coming up. Well, first up tonight, if you haven't heard of Earth Hour, then you're probably a little bit in the dark around energy conservation. But then again, if you have heard of it, it's in the dark that you're certainly going to be between 8.30 and 9.30 on Saturday night. going to be hearing more about all of that from environmental activist Bramal Herber, so do stay tuned, listen carefully. After that, uh, water. In fact, after that, we're going to be hearing a little bit about gold mining reclamation. You might remember last week we heard how it's adversely affecting the health of the surrounding community in Riverley, not doing them any favours at all. So tonight we're going to be getting a response from the CEO, I think, of the DRD, the mining company in question. That's on gold mining reclamation. But after that, it's water all the way, and someone who plans to spend a great deal of time in it is a gentleman by the name of Ray Chaplin. He's going to be swimming the length of the polluted Orange River very soon at his own peril. Oh, my goodness, indeed. And uh, on water, well, we're going to be talking a little bit about our very progressive water policies here in South Africa. How effective are they ensuring that we all get good clean water and how effective and, uh, and sensible are our very own practices? And after that, in our green goodie feature, one community's in- initiative to keep their river clean using a little boat. And uh, we'll also be finding out a little bit more about that very little boat, so do stay with us for all of that. Let me give you a bit of eco-info. Well, three days ago, members of the Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries, the uh, management branch, plus some of the South African police Service services, raided premises in Mitchell's Plain here in the Western Cape. That was after a tip-off. And at one house in the Westridge area, they found seven freezers containing large frozen abalone, 4,643 4, units, weighing approximately 1,238 kilograms with seeds. Wow, is what I have to say. And the value of that uh, poached abalone is estimated to be 1.2 million rand. How's that for a raid? And if you're in Cape Town, other news, better news from Cape Town and this uh, World Water Day that's happening tomorrow... You're invited to join religious representatives from all faith traditions uh, and they're going to be marking World Water Day with an informative walk and prayerful Thanksgiving for Cape Town's Natural Springs. Going to be meeting at 9.30 in the morning tomorrow at Sand Park's parking lot at Deer Park. So if you'd like to get yourself along there and do the walk to say a big thank you for water and should we be thanking the world for water <laughs> himself, definitely we should be thanking him. On Saturday, just moving forward, people from all over the world are going to be turning off their lights as a symbolic act for WWF's Earth Hour. And in South Africa, you're invited to do the very same, to join this environmental movement, by switching off between 8.30 and 9.30. But switching off doesn't mean that you're left in the dark. In fact, there's a lot you can do in the dark, at home or out and about in your city. And if you want to find out more fun things that you can do in the dark, and I guess you can let your imagination wander, visit the WWF Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash WWFSA and uh, WWF. .org.za. Celebrate this earth hour and commit to some positive positive action beyond the hour. Switch off and switch over
0: There's a lot
2: to do in the dark. Teach your dog a new trick. Learn to fetch a
0: glow stick. A lot to do in the dark. Gaze at the stars, try your best to find Mars. There's a lot to do in the dark. Flashlight on your face, have an Earth power race. Lot to do in the dark. There's a lot
2: to do in the dark.
1: There you go, you heard it right here on The Enviro Show. Lots to do in the dark. Not sure about teaching your dog a new trick. You might have to wait until he barks so you could see the whites of his teeth. <laughs> There you go. Well, lots of celebrities are actually joining in Earth Hour, and we're going to be hearing a little bit more about that from celebrity himself, Bramal Herber. But O, who's a a DJ right here with uh, Good Hope, he says that Earth Hour is one of his favourite environmental events of the year, not only because we, well, specifically because what they do is they throw an annual mystery dinner in the dark with their friends, which sounds like lots of fun. And Tobo Machoba, who's the Archbishop of Cape Town, he says, Support WWF's Earth Hour, switch off your lights and switch on to saving the world in a different kind of way from what he's used to. Let this be the first hour of a new life of energy saving and living lightly. He says, we have no option other than to preserve our world for future generations. There is no planet B, as is often said. And just whilst we're on to faith-based celebrities, Pope Benedict was often referred to as the world's first green pope, installing solar panels in the Vatican, who knew, interesting that one, and also urging us to be guardians of nature. But our brand new pope, uh, Pope Francis, named, as you know, after St. Francis of Assisi as an animal lover, looks to be following in his green footsteps, so very nice one that. A couple of messages we had on our Facebook page, don't forget the Enviro show on SAFM, from Jeffries Machaba. He says, Good evening, I'm concerned about the shortage of water supply. I concede that the high demand was not anticipated. The capacity of our municipal structure is insufficient for where we are heading to as a country. Quite right, Jeffries. And from Esertu Aubrey-Bungu, he says, I'm writing an assignment on hydrofracking, and I just want to ask from which websites can I get more information on this hydrofracking? Well, we did a little bit of research there, um, Esertu, and we found uh, goclearwater.com, safewatermovement.org, and frack. Dot org. But I guess that we've probably got a whole lot of listeners who know a whole lot more about it than we do. So if you'd like to let us know, if you're listening out there, you can post them onto our Facebook page. That's the Enviro Show on SAFM. Or you can pick up the phone. Give us a call 0892 2010.
0: This is SAFM.
1: Yay. It is indeed SAFM. It's your friendly green station right now for the next hour until 10 o'clock. Well, Earth Hour, talking of hours, make a note that between 8.30 and 9.30 this Saturday night to turn off your lights and as much possibly as you can, anything that uses power, just pull it out, pull out the plug, switch it off. Why? Well, on the line, we have to tell us in his opinion, as well as what his plans are around Earth Hour himself. We have our very own Bram Malherber, when I say our very own, in as much as we think of him as a Cape Boy. He's also an eco-activist. Hi, Bram. Hi Nancy, could
2: Excellent. you. Excellent,
1: yes, nice to have you. Are you in the dark right now? Are you practicing for both hours? I,
2: I can't be because I've had to make some notes, but I can say I've got one of those little solar lamp things where you clip the top down on top of the jar.
1: And aren't those just the best things ever? <laughs> They're
2: fantastic. Yes. It's recycling glass and it's taking sunlight, which is we uh, we all made from it
1: absolutely and they just they just look so good and i just love the whole sort of economy of the of the whole thing so earth hour i'm not quite sure how many years it's been going quite a few by now the, as far as the principle behind it is what
2: nancy i think you are the principle behind it and what i mean by that is you can have an earth hour without media and it's for nothing yeah I think what people really need to understand is, uh, you know, I've been asked many times, yeah, but what is one hour going to do? It's not going to change anything. Well, yes, it can. The power of the media is highlighting symbolically what saving energy is all about. If I can go to the beginning of that, why is saving energy good for the planet? Not just humans, but for the planet. Very simply, electricity is one of the highest contributors on Earth in terms of carbon emissions, because of, particularly in South Africa here, coal-fired power stations. So when we we download, if I could use that, the load shedding from the individual, we save huge amounts of carbon emissions going into the atmosphere. So if we go to the history of Earth Hour, it's grown currently from humble beginnings to, over the last three years, 7,000 cities in 152 countries. Mm-hmm. practice Earth Hour... What I particularly enjoy about it, again symbolically, is it's really, in my view, a great example of uniting nations in a common do-good cause, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. it's it's dark here, and we switch our lights up at half past eight on Saturday evening, and then with light somewhere else as the Earth is moving, um, they switch there. So we're actually connecting the planet in a very, Mm -hmm. very wonderful way.
1: I suppose it's all about awareness, too. I mean, I don't know. It has been calculated how much energy is actually saved in that hour. And, you know, it's often said, well, you know, by the time you switch it on and off, you use more energy doing that. But it's it's the awareness raising. But I don't need to tell you, Bron, that one of the ironies of this country is that there are an awful lot of people who, A, don't have electricity in the first place or, you know, are, are, are aspiring to, uh, to have electricity, and it always seems such a sort of paradox that there are those of us who are unplugging our laptops, turning off our chandeliers, etc., etc. et The haves
2: and the have-nots. Have yeah,
1: it's tough, eh? I, I, I
2: think there's an upside in my view. I've, I've got to always find the upside in everything. Um, if, if you look at people that aspire to want to have electricity, and it's, it's a right, as it should be, mm.
1: On those, human those rights people,
2: day. the frugal, are going to want to have electricity in the most sustainable way. So that is an education process as well, which through government, through, through anybody, we could, you know, I'm looking at how do I save energy for, from more a um, let's help the planet perspective. But people that just want the energy are also not going to want to waste their money. So it's about education again. Which this government is is sort of a long upward climb, but that is the issue. We need to look at educating people as to sustainability long term for the good of all people and indeed the biodiversity of all species.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that you're one of those uh, one of those wonderful optimists. So you always do see the good side of things, but it is it is nonetheless quite a difficult one. The thing, uh, yes, and it's seven seven thousand cities right across the world. That one hundred and fifty two countries. That's awesome. Um, and as I drive around Cape Town at night, you just look at this, and it's very beautiful. You see all these lovely twinkly lights, but it does seem excessive. We it could be, expensive. you know, we could be doing this every night. Uh, uh, you know, we could be, for an hour. We could just be switching off for. A I
2: think Nancy, what that's do you think? exactly that the point.
3: Mm.
2: Um, when something becomes real. To, to an individual, you go, wow, I'm actually making a difference. Um, that, is, that is also becomes an introspective thing, if I could use that term. I, um, I'm a 49M ambassador, and I thought long and hard before I, I I took that role on. I thought, well, you know, SCOM, mm,
4: yeah,
2: there's a whole debate around that, and there's an 8% increase, and in everything. And what turned me was a very simple thing, and, and you know, we know each other, and I, I said to myself, I can't change what the legislation is gonna do as an individual. I can spend all of my energy, excuse the pun,
5: mm-hmm. blaming
2: ESCOM, blaming the government and the crime and whatever I like, I can blame. Or I can internalize and I can say, what can I do differently? And that was, that, that was actually brought to me very succinctly on, on a personal level when we had load shedding a couple of years ago. And my son, Benjamin, was with me, and we couldn't watch TV. Well, he watched TV. I hardly ever watched TV. And oh, the TV was this load shedding. It brought us closer as a family.
4: Mm.
2: The candle, sitting outside, looking at stars. That little jingle earlier, there's a lot you can do in the dark. Um, I, I love that you, you mentioned, uh, I forget who, you, who it was, Nancy, but switch off your lights and switch on to saving the world. Yeah. And it starts at home. It's what my whole campaign, as you know, is: dot, do one thing yeah. So stop the blame and ask what you can do to be a positive contributor. Yeah. And it's-, it's through the small, little things like switch the laptop off. Don't just close the lid. Pull the plug out where you need to. Um, there is so there are so many simple things we can do collectively in South Africa and indeed the planet that can literally reshape our futures but we as individuals need to take ownership of that and i think earth Eye is a wonderful example of exactly that
1: yeah and i suppose example is actually the right word because we as individuals but we as corporates i mean those of us who are lucky to be heading up a corporate or part of big business going back to the the cape town nightscape it's full of buildings that are just absolutely a flood with With light. I suppose if companies. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a safety issue. I'm not sure about that, but um, there would be all sorts of reasons. But if top bosses could take the decision, say, okay, we're going to power down guys, that would also make a huge difference, wouldn't it?
2: Absolutely. And I think many, many companies are doing that. Um, I I don't want to mention companies' names specifically, but there are large buildings in Cape Town that power down. And they, they, they literally go to, when there's not movement in the office, they have sensors. And those lights switch off, mm. um, and, and which is fantastic. And it's, it, the corporates must lead by example. There's a thing, this whole greenwash thing just doesn't cut it. And it's, it's way... Overdue that it's not business as usual and you have to make changes and changes are indeed Exactly what evolves us as 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 a species and as individuals and I think many humans just resist change You know we one same old the same habits and so on and I'm really really as you said earlier optimistically hoping That this year when when our mayor, Patricia Delillo and I switch those lights off on table mountain As one of the seven natural wonders of the world it becomes a symbolic thing that have on followers.
1: Yeah, now that's a huge thing. Somebody once told me, and I can't remember if anybody's listening and they know exactly how much it costs to light up Table Mountain. I, I, I can't remember. It's, it's quite a lot of money. So you're going to, you and Patricia are going to flick the switch literally and just turn off for that hour.
2: Half past that. Okay. A, as a symbol, as mm-hmm. a symbol. You know, unfortunately you've got Bafana Bafana playing in Greenpoint Stadium that night and you've got the Rugby Newlands that night.
4: Ouch.
5: You know,
2: uh, that, to me, is a sting. Yes, it's, again, we need to have our sport and no, wonderful, and let's embrace it. But, you know, heck, couldn't we just thought of have thought of the planet first?
1: Yeah, maybe we should have arranged it so half-time was around... Well, I don't know, it would have no, had to be... You can't been.
2: power the lights off, at, no. at, at, uh, as you correctly said, um, at the stadium in Greenpoint. Um, that is a huge amount of energy.
1: Well, it takes so long to power up and then to bring exactly. them down again. Yeah, no, exactly.
2: But, you know, I think this is around... Um, it's, about, it's about ownership,
1: yeah.
2: individual ownership. And stop pointing the fingers and, and, and look at what you can do. I mean, there's a, a fantastic thing on Facebook. It is in uh, The Guardian, not The Mail and mm-hmm. Guardian. The Guardian is a website, and you can go and join on the Facebook page. And you just click on it. It's stunning. It's everything you need to know about climate change. Okay, And it's stunning. It's a little hexagon and you can click on, um, it's got the big picture and you can click on the little things there. What is climate change? The scientific looks, the impacts on you and I, the technology. What's it called?
1: I'm sorry, I missed that.
2: It's The Guardian.
1: Okay. Um, Oh, it's The Guardian Green
2: Page. whatever. And you'll, you'll go on there and it's everything you need to know about climate change, frequently answered questions made easy.
1: Well, what we'll do, try and do is make a link onto our Facebook page on the Enviro Show on SAFM. Um, Bram, I don't know, do you know how much it costs to light up Table Mountain?
2: I don't, in fact, know that. No, I don't. What I have heard, though, um, is there are a lot of reflectors, pretty much like a lighthouse. That's yeah. so not 150,000 bulbs. It's a reflector in each of those things. But I, I don't know the, the, the wattage that it that, 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 that
4: takes. Well,
1: you're forgiven because you know so much Thank also. You. I think we can let you off that particular hook. But
2: this
1: one. Bram, lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much. Enjoy your dark hour or your finest dark hour on Saturday night. I think it's, it's all about raising awareness. And blessings. Thank you very much. Take care. You too. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Ramel Herbert and as I say he's a real eco warrior. And if you don't forget, just just do it. It's not going to be a whole big mission. All you've got to do is just switch as many things as you possibly can off between eight thirty and nine thirty. Uh but it's Earth hour on March the twenty-third, that's Saturday night. And if you do know the answer to how much does it cost to light up Table Mountain? Give us a call. We're all sitting here now wondering 0892 10 2010 or pop the message on Facebook 0892 10 2010 or um, the Enviro show on SAFM. Well, we're moving along from Earth Hour to, I don't know if you remember if you were listening last week, and I hope you were, you might remember that we spoke to a member of the Empowering Riverlea Community Project. She's Rueda Mills, and she was telling us all about their health concerns, which sound to be very real, as a result of the reclaiming that's underway at the nearby gold mine dump. She cited asthma, TB, coughs. All as uh, as big issues, as well as f- uh, fruit on the trees, deformed fruit that was on the trees, dead gardens, and it all sounded pretty grim. Well, we have on the line Neil Pretorius. He's CEO of DRD Gold, who are the mine, the mining company in question. Hi, Neil.
4: Hi, good evening. Nancy. Nice
1: to have you with us. Thank you very much. Sorry we weren't able to get you at the same time as we were talking to Rueda because it would have been nice to have her talk to you directly. But I think the point is that she had her say. Now we thought we would let you have your say. Just explain to us exactly what it is and how it is that you are doing the re- reclaiming on that gold mine dump.
4: Look, it's, it's a business that's been going on since uh, the early 1980s. And we've reclaimed probably the better part of 25 mine dumps in and around the Johannesburg area and also towards the Far East red. And then we've had these things analysed from literally every possible direction and every possible angle. And You've uh, had
1: what analysed?
4: The, the, the dumps and the contents of these dumps, mm. the, uh, the substance that we're actually mining away, it's all mine tailings, it's all mine waste that we are casting away and, and mining away. And I must say I'm, I'm a little sceptical about the claims of, of disease, uh, you know, like TB and, and so forth associated with it. We've never had that in the past, not, not, not over 30 years. Uh, not suggesting that uh, that, it, that dust does not uh, cause inconvenience. It does, in fact, cause quite a lot of inconvenience. And then as a consequence, we do put measures in place to try and limit the extent of that inconvenience as far as possible. Also, by arranging the mining of these dumps over certain periods, you know, you want to... This particular one will probably be gone in about 18 months.
1: When you say gone, it will be... What do you mean, gone?
4: It, it will be moved away. The, the entire dump that is okay. the course of all this dust. Will then have been completely recycled. It would have been completely pumped away to our reclamation plants. And then that area would be rehabilitated. It would be cleaned up. So the source of, of this inconvenience would then be would be then be, uh, removed, basically. It would okay. be away, moved to another place. Because okay, so so it wo- would be available for development.
1: It would be or it will be? Is that on the cards?
4: Yeah, no, it will be. Look, we don't stop until it's finished and yeah. until the site is rehabilitated, fully rehabilitated. And it will probably be developed for uh, other uh, housing, housing development, or, or maybe even... Light okay, so
1: that's its future. What we're looking at it is, is it its present? You say that it's all been analysed, the mine dumps itself, the content, the, the whatever it is that's going up into the air. What, what has been proven from those tests? What is what is the content? Well,
4: the the allegations that we've had in the past uh, were allegations around the, the fact that there was the emission of cyanide gases, that that could have been detrimental, et cetera. Et cetera. We then had it analysed, and then this was on a number of occasions, and, and these Dumps are fairly consistent in what they contain. And, you know, in, in order to, to suffer negative uh, uh, medical effects uh, in, in the form of disease uh, related to these toxins in those dumps, you almost have to consume your body weight uh, in, in, in that material per day on a daily basis before you would become ill from it. So what we're addressing uh, in, in, in dealing with the dust is not so much the potential effects of, of disease because there are none, not, not according to our uh, research, but the nuisance aspects, the nuisance factor. So a lot of money goes into watering it down. As I said earlier, also the sequencing of the, the reclamation program is such that we hit as few dry seasons as possible because the combination of dust and wind, obviously, or and wind, that is where, where the, the, the dust emanates from. In fact, there are two major sources of dust in, in our business. The one is the actual reclamation site, which is what've got uh, which is what we're dealing with here, and the other one is the, the deposition sites, which is just further down the road, these big old mine dumps, which we use as a let's call it as a, 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 a tailings deposition facility. those obviously are going to be there for, for many, many years going forward, and those are fully vegetated and so forth and, and we're spending a lot of money on those. we, we spent probably about 80 million rands a year on dust management issues, on vegetation, on rehabilitation of mines and so forth. But the ones that we reclaim, uh, similar to the one right next to River Lee, there it's really a matter of watering it down and managing the seasons and trying to, to be as less an inconvenience and nuisance to the neighbouring uh, communities mm. as we possibly can. And yet we they... engage them. We, we have a free monthly uh, open forum okay. for interested parties where the Department of Minerals and Energy attend. We monitor 94 different uh, dust points, monitoring points that are along the part uh, the front area, so we debate those. Um, officials from the, the uh, local council, they attend those. The local communities have representatives that they can send there to, uh, to, to voice their concerns as well. And of course if there are really uh, uh, conditions, medical conditions or uh, issues around the environment like what, what you mentioned about the, the fruit and so forth, mm. it can be linked to those. That is the forum where those uh, allegations or those concerns would be received. They will be taken seriously, and, and additional uh, research will go into that. Mm. If, if they are shown to be to, to have merit, then, then obviously we'll do something about it. We're not indifferent to the part of it. Yeah,
1: it seems there may be a little bit of communication breakdown here because from what we understood from the, the member of the, the project that we spoke to, she said that they hadn't had any response. So, but, I mean, let's not get into a sort of yes, you did, no, you didn't. I just want to come back to the issue about dust, the dust itself may not be toxic, from what I understand you're saying, it isn't actually toxic, but the very fact that it's in the air could be causing the asthma, it could be causing all sorts of pulmonary uh, problems, and you say that one would have to ingest a huge amount, you know, more than your body weight, but there are children in that area, there are babies, and uh, dust f- floating around in the air can, can penetrate windows and doors and very quickly, so very small children it wouldn't take very much to make them sick.
4: But just to give back on the, on the communication, the public forum is there for exactly that purpose and, and they're, more enti- they, they're entitled to participate in that and they are taken seriously there too. On the issues of dust, yes, of course, it could be an inconvenience, it could be uh, the cause of, of respiratory uh, issues and that's why we dust it down, that's why we have a dust down project and that's why we have these programs to keep the, the dust levels to an absolute minimum.
1: Would it be, I'm just thinking of 80 million rand that you're spending, would it be a good idea to invest some money perhaps in an education program to invite the people to come along to, because another thing that the lady said was, that Rueda said, was that I think I asked her if there had been any tests done, measures done on air pollution, and she said yes, there had, but they hadn't been able to see the results.
4: Do you have the results? We come to this this forum of ours. Every three months we listen to those issues that will be properly recorded you know this forum has been going on for the last wow, many, many years. It's it's independently chaired. Uh, we look at scientific fact. We take these issues seriously. Some of the NGOs, in fact, also attend. They send their representatives there. Everything is recorded. Everything is uh, is minuted. There's an agenda. The, the, the minutes are, uh, are confirmed at the you know at every uh, every new meeting. And if she if she uh, wants to attend this particular forum. Uh, but she will have the opportunity to voice these concerns and they will, be, uh, they will be followed up upon. In fact, if she'd done that in the past, there, there would have been an issue. What we're not going to do is, uh, is uh, respond to, to allegations uh, that, that are sort of you know, communicated by, by the media. Not because we don't take the media seriously. We take the media very seriously. Mm. But, but this is a forum that was established specifically uh, with a whole bunch of, of, of qualified experts in attendance to listen to these things, and also to communicate back to the community and say, listen, you know, we've listened to these concerns, we've listened to these complaints, we don't think it has anything to do with the dust, but maybe there's something else that we need to look into. And we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time and effort on those communities. We, uh, we, uh, investment, investments go into, uh, for, for example, the schools. Uh, we re-roofed the school in the area. I think we built a kitchen. There's a knitting and sewing initiative. Some of those community members work on the dumps on the rehabilitation and so forth. We're rolling out a program for school children where we teach them maths and science and accountancy and so forth. So we do invest back into those communities and we do want to engage them. And we will most certainly, if there are issues that are affecting their health, we would like to assist them to get to the bottom of those issues as well. And if we are in some way or another uh, responsible for some of those issues, I really will address that with differences
1: mm-hmm. Neil, then the forum that you're talking about and the communications that lines seem to be quite open, how may, if Rueda is listening, if any of the community members are listening, how can they contact either yourself direct or somebody who will give them a, a direct answer and invite them to come along to the forum?
4: we We are in uh, in contact with their community leaders. there are Riverley community leaders uh, also through the, the Johannesburg city council, they they have representatives that attend. Uh, if they want to to get further particulars on who and how to, to communicate with the company, they can just access the website and all of our uh, investor relations uh, and public relations uh, contact details are there. Okay. I if they the if they can't, sh- have the uh, the no. telephone number of the, the the chair of this particular, and also not at the top of my head the. Phone number of the environmental management officer.
1: Okay, because I'm just thinking, you know, perhaps people don't have access to the website. It'd be quite nice to give out a phone number. Can we go to your website at www.drd.co.za? Will we find a phone number there? Uh,
4: Certainly, yes. You'll find the the phone number of our uh, public relations uh, uh, agency, and then they will most certainly point you in the right direction.
1: Okay. Okay, well no, let's, no nobody
4: else wanted to attend has had any difficulty finding it or because yeah. the communications actually go into the community yeah. so Ruida is much welcome to yeah
1: attend. yeah I mean I think it has to be said I don't think these people are making it up I think there are serious concerns so let's give everybody a chance to do what they need to do which is which is talk and uh, express their concerns Neil thank you very much we're going to find that uh, phone number we're going to go quickly onto your website now and find that phone number so thank you very much for your time okay. thank, thank you Neil Pretorius, he's CEO of DRD Gold. Well, if you'd like to find out a little bit more, we are going to check that website for you and we'll come back with a number. It seems like communications sometimes are not all what they could be, but as I said, I don't think anybody's making anything up. You're listening to The Enviro Show. If you'd like to give us a call, you're welcome right now, 0892
0: 10 2010. This is SAFM.
1: And this is the Enviro Show here on SAFM. Well, water next. In fact, water all the way through to the end. Water with World Water Day coming up tomorrow. Last time he swam in polluted waters, this young man was so sick that the doctor told him he pretty much had every disease in the book. And now he plans to do it all again, all 2,300 kilometers of it.
5: My name is Ray Chaplin, and on Easter weekend, I'm departing from the source of the Orange River to riverboard the length from source to sea. Uh, it's a distance of 2,300 kilometers, and it'll take me roughly five months. And during that period, I'm looking at water quality and man's impact on our river systems and educating schools and communities along the way about not only their waste and what their actions have an impact on their town, but also what happens downriver and ultimately in our marine environment as well. And once it's in the ocean, obviously it of affect anyone anywhere in the world.
1: What about affecting you? Because I'm looking at this funny little red thing that looks... Like a baby's bath, and you're going to be bobbing around in that. What is it?
5: Um, it's a riverboard, it's locally designed and manufactured. It's basically a glorified bodyboard with handles, and my upper body rests on the board, and my legs are my propulsion and my steering, and those are in the water. So I'll pretty much be wet for 10 hours of the day and then hopefully dry up enough overnight. So I really am at the mercy of what man and companies and nature is putting into the river. And historically I have picked up infections and some nasty little diseases as a result of injuries and obviously what man has put into the river.
1: I can imagine because I mean whilst you're sort of on the board you'll be ingesting also I mean, a lot of water going into your nose and eyes and mouth. What do you anticipate taking in?
5: Well, as my doctor said last year, you rip one page out of the book of diseases and you've got everything else. Um, Bulhazia, Gardia, mm-hmm. and a long list of pesticides, insecticides, um, E. coli counts in certain areas are going to be quite interesting. And unfortunately, the Val River flows into the Orange. So just near Douglas in the Northern Cape, I'm due to pick up a whole bunch of new things, which I don't think are even in a book yet.
1: You're quite gung-ho, but it sounds particularly pretty pretty dangerous. Will you be um, at the end of each day though, will you be uh, taking your little test tubes and measuring what's in the water?
5: Um, Because I'm going completely alone, I don't have a crew to travel with me. It's difficult obviously storing water in some receptacle so we're doing it at set intervals, which will be closer to towns. The goal is to take a reading just before town and just after a town, so we can quite closely assess what the town's direct impact is, and then also how the, the river has restored itself and tried to recover before the next town, and then we run that reading again. Being near a town, I can then get it couriered off to a lab and do a proper assessment.
1: Well, you might need to be restoring and recovering yourself.
5: Um, I've been told that my body will probably rot. If you think about lying in a bath for a little bit too long, you go all wrinkly. Every seventh day, um, I will spend an entire day out of the water just to try and let my body dry out and recover, and lots and lots and lots of talcum powder.
1: So you're like a human litmus paper. <laughs> Pretty much. Will you keep us posted? Can we get in touch with you while you're en route and you can tell us how it's going?
5: Absolutely. Uh, My website's raychaplin.com and from there there are all the links for social medias and partners in the program. Biggest issue is obviously power, so my phone won't be on 24-7 for people to phone me, but get in touch with me via the online mechanisms and I'll be sure to keep you posted.
1: Well, there you go. Well, I bumped into Ray, very brave man, I would say. Bumped into him at a, a river cleaning boat launch in Cape Town just the other day. Going to be hearing a little bit more about that in a minute. But if you want to check out what Ray's up to, you can check either his Facebook page, which is uh, uh, facebook.com forward slash Ray Chaplin, or you can check his website, which is www.ray, R A Y Chaplin, as in Charlie, dot com, and his Twitter handle is at Ray Chaplin. Otherwise, you can go on to the www.plasticsinfo.co.za site because they've got lots of information there. And bless his heart, he says, I hope to have completed my mission within five months and reach Alexander Bay by early August. Or well, what can I say? Good luck, my dear. It's going, be, it's going to be pretty tough going. And just to let you know, incidentally, we've put up the Guardian Green page on our Enviro Show Facebook page so you can check it out right now if you have a mind to. But right now we're going to stay with water, in fact. We're going to be talking to Claire Volkane, Volkvane, I think, because she's Programme Director for African Utility Week, and their role is to bring together the entire ecosystem for the African water and power sector, which sounds like a one very big job, for the purposes of sharing and determining the future development of Africa's power industry. Well, it seems, looking at all their information, it is much more to water access than actually meets the eye. Um, but to tell us a little bit more on how and why we have Claire on the line. Hi, Claire. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? Excellent. Nice to have you with us. Thank you very much. Gosh, African uh, African Utility Week. Uh, it sounds like it's a massive organisation. Give us a sort of uh, the brief breakdown. <laughs>
6: um, yeah, it is. It is quite a quite a a, a, a big undertaking. Um, we examine the power and water industry literally from generation right down to consumer. So we look at things like uh, transmission and distribution and metering and renewable energy and all the really interesting things for people in the industry, but I'm afraid for the man on the street probably stuff that – Really doesn't make much sense, but it's the stuff that keeps the power on and the water flowing, basically.
1: Uh, Across Africa, I mean, the Africa Utilities Week.
6: Yes, we um, literally are working with utilities from Cape Town to Cairo. Hmm.
1: Does that mean that you've got uh, everybody's environmental departments of environmental right the way through the continent? Is everybody on board?
6: From a from a department of environmental affairs, probably not. The main audience that we are targeting is really the utilities, and the reason for that is that they are very often the people that, while they may not uh, determine the policies, they are definitely the people that are responsible for implementing them. And so our focus is very much around around providing information on how they can implement uh, the policies that are set by the governments. But not only that, but how they can avoid making mistakes, and in some cases very expensive mistakes, Mm -hmm. that other utilities have already made. You know, it's only through talking to one another that we can actually learn. And this is a really great opportunity for us to learn from one another across the entire utility industry, as I said, from Cape Town to Cairo.
1: It just, you know, one wonders how much learning time we've got because things are changing, you know, all the time. Our resources are sort of drying up quite literally um, as we speak. So we don't have so much sort of learning curves, and we don't necessarily we can't necessarily look back and see this is how they did it then because that's not relevant anymore because things have changed so dramatically.
6: Um, I agree with you, but you know, one of the things that's that's fairly comforting about, the, particularly the power sector, is that the basic structure of the the way electricity works and the way that our networks are set up hasn't changed in hundred years.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
6: if Thomas Edison had to come and have a look at the, the the power setup in South Africa. He would probably recognize most of it. What is changing, though, is our ability to communicate between the various sectors of that transmission or distribution or generation sector. And that actually is providing us, particularly on the power side, with the ability to be more efficient. And that efficiency, of course, means that we are able to manage how we use our electricity and hopefully by doing that on the power side again not um, have to build additional power stations because of all the losses that are being incurred down the line because we're able to identify them and and, 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 deal with them immediately.
1: You know, technology plays such a huge role in this, and we're busy sort of developing things. Because here in Africa, we've got, we can, because we've got the space and we've got the talent. And there's a lot of space, unlike you know perhaps Europe or even America, where things are much more sort of crowded. But I can't help feeling that maybe you think you say in some instances things haven't changed in a hundred years. Isn't that the problem? Uh, aren't we stuck with an awful lot of old tech, old infrastructure?
6: I suppose in some ways, but one of the benefits of being in Africa at the moment, particularly, is we, we are on the edge of a boom as far as our generation capacity is concerned, not just in South Africa, but literally across the continent. As Africa is developing more and more, there is definitely more of a need for, for power infrastructure in particular. And what is happening with that is that we are able to leapfrog from some of the very... Uh, expensive and not necessarily very clean power sources straight onto more renewable and, and environmentally friendly sources, and which, which is a lot of what's happening. Um, the majority of East Africa, for instance, uh, the, the kind of power that they're generating is from hydro. And they have, partly because they don't have a lot of coal resources, but also because of the fact that they have, they have water, and because of the, the impetus at the moment to develop renewable sources, that is exactly what they're doing. So I think, yes, things have, haven't changed for a while, but it is giving us um, an opportunity to start hopefully on the right foot when the, the really big developments do start.
1: Let's focus our attention specifically on water because that's, that's the big thing, you know, World water, World water Day tomorrow and it's certainly been National Water Week here in South Africa. Um, it's, it's a lot to do with money. I'm just looking at some of the statistics here. 670 billion rand needed over the next 10 years to service previously unserviced communities, to grow and maintain the water infrastructure, to rehabilitate existing infrastructure. Is it, is it all about money?
6: I think it is partly about money.
1: Money and management.
6: It's it's a difficult one because water is a basic human right, and it's one of those things that people find very hard to understand why there is a cost attached to it. Mm
1: -hmm.
6: And because they don't necessarily understand why the cost is attached, it's very hard to get across the importance of conserving and managing that resource. So you find that our utilities, in particular the the municipalities in South Africa, are in a situation where they are trying to manage what we call non-revenue water, which is basically water that is provided but is never billed or uh, paid for in one way or the other. And that can be from a technical reason, for instance, a a leak somewhere along the, the pipeline or it can be for from what they call a non-technical reason, which could be somebody leaving a tap running in a public bathroom or somebody um, appropriating water, if mm-hmm. I can put mm-hmm. it that way. Unfortunately, the reality is is that for every single liter of water that is lost and that is not paid for, the utility is also making a loss. And so in in some cases, our utilities and our municipalities are running at... Anything from fifteen to fifty or sixty percent losses from non-revenue water. It's very difficult when you are, are, are producing or providing a service that you're not being paid for to continue being efficient in paying for it because there just isn't the money to do it.
1: So somebody needs to go and fix all those leaks, turn off all the taps. You know, there's a lot to do. When I was saying management, uh, management, management and maintenance, really.
6: Absolutely, but I think it's also very much a case of we as South Africans need to change our mindset around water. We need to understand that we are living on a continent um, and in a region which is being classified as water scarce. We cannot afford to be, be thinking about water the way that we always have. We have to be very conscious about how we use it. And, you know, for instance, just within our homes, when you're brushing your teeth, don't keep the tap running. Um, instead of having a bath, have a shower. And when you do have a shower, have a, an energy or a water-efficient uh, head. Um, yeah.
1: Or have a shower with a with a bucket and fill up the bucket while you're busy showering.
6: Absolutely. Mm. Don't do your dishes six times a day. Do them once a day. Um, you know, th- th- there are a lot of things that we can do as people. That are going to that, that, that's going to impact on the ability of the municipalities to also meet the challenges going forward.
1: You know, we were talking to Bram El-Herber, and I'm sure you know exactly who he is. A mm-hmm. bit of an environmental warrior. We were talking about Earth Hour, and if everybody switched off, you know, it wouldn't so much necessarily save a whole lot of money in terms of energy, but it would raise everybody's awareness. And when we talk about, you know, turning the tap off while you're brushing your teeth, and when we're talking about, you know, a drop in the ocean, quite literally, it's it's all the water that gets pumped across fields and, and industrial usage. Those are the really big water guzzles. And I suppose that, that that's very often where the average Joe in the street thinks, oh, really, you know, is that what we're really confronted with? You know,
6: look, at the end of the day, we need the agriculture and we need the the industry in order to keep our economy going. But water is everybody's responsibility. And for us as consumers and domestic consumers to say what somebody else's problem is also actually just shifting the blame. Mm. We cannot we cannot afford to think like that anymore. We can't afford to think like that as far as our power is concerned. We certainly can't afford to think like that about our water. Because every single drop of water that we waste is a drop of water that at the end of the day has to be retreated and repipe back to our homes. All of those come at a cost.
1: You know, the big worry about water is that it may be getting increasingly scarce, but it also that so much of it is so badly polluted. We were talking to a young chap earlier who's about to swim the entire length, or 2,300-odd kilometres of the Orange River, which is, <laughs> exactly. is, I mean, you know, really or what. And apparently it's hugely polluted, <clears throat> and that's one big body of water. So we've got we've got acid mine drainage. We've got a lot of water up in Gauteng that is you know going to be seriously polluted. So it's not just about lack of water; it's about the damaged water that we have.
6: Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that we're going to be covering on, on the program at African Utility Week is around how uh, large industrial users can manage their resources uh, more effectively, and that is looking at not just electricity but at water as well. And there are some initiatives that are being piloted in, in Europe around um, the actual financial benefits of reusing or recycling your water. And um, I know that that is something that a lot of the municipalities are looking at. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if you're based down here in Cape Town, but for instance, Ratanga Junction, all of the water that is used in that, in that theme park is what they call grey water. So it is reused industrial water and th- there are, are a lot of opportunities for us to be using more of that kind of water for big industrial estates, yeah. for theme parks, for golf courses, you know, and we, just, we have to start thinking smarter. We cannot afford to think of that, that everything is business as usual. The world that we are living in is changing,
1: yeah. and we have to adapt and change with it. Anybody who's seriously green, and the minute you say golf courses, one sort of goes shudder. <laughs> just how, many, how much water just gets pumped onto those and, and, you know, bring on the brown golf course, I suppose. One way or another, it's going to have to happen. What about our water... I mean, you're the African Utility Week, and that's happening in May, I think the 14th to the 15th of May. But what about our water policies right here in South Africa? Apparently, we have really good progressive water policies. Tell us about them.
6: We do. Look, you know, I mean, I think... I think that I know that there are re- regions in the country where the water quality, for instance, is perhaps not as good as it could be. But I think for the most part, we need to realize that we are actually very lucky. We are, we are still living in a country where we can actually drink the water out of our tap. There are a lot of countries in the rest of the world that don't have that luxury. And, you know, things like the blue drop certification, uh, which the Department of Water Affairs have, have brought out, that that certification is not just to state that a municipality's water is drinkable; it's to state that it is more than acceptable. So, you know, I, I think I think we as South Africans generally tend to be uh, a fairly negative bunch mm-hmm. when it comes to things that are happening in our uh, in our own country.
1: But and we but we cannot, sorry, Karen.
6: no problem. And, and I was just going to say, I think that we also need to have a look at the fact that we are also. Um, you know, in a, it, we're lucky enough to live in a country where there are also a lot of really good things happening, but perhaps they don't necessarily attract the attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, hugely a huge amount of good things happening, and I mean, growing awareness. It's it's happening in leaps and bounds, which is very, very exciting and very encouraging. You know, perhaps that things are not as bleak as they seem. But we're also quite inquisitive. Uh, certainly, a lot of our listeners are quite inquisitive because we get all sorts of information. Um, Blue Drop. If anybody wants to know more, do, would you happen to know if there's a website, or would one go onto the Department of Water and Environmental Affairs?
6: You can website? go onto that onto that website. But basically, um, the the purpose behind Blue Drop is to encourage municipalities to improve the quality of the drinking water and um, the western cape for instance has an average of ninety percent in terms of the quality of the water um, you know and it's it's it, we're seeing the fact that people are taking blue drop very seriously that they are the the certif- the certificate is kind of like a gold standard as far as water is concerned and they don't just have it for Um, for uh, consumer water but they have it for industrial water as well they have the blue drop and the green drop
1: yeah well blue and green drops are definitely uh, a topic for another day it's been fascinating claire thank you very much going to give out your website if anybody would like to know more it's uh, african-utility-week.com is that right yep think yep nope i think we've lost claire but uh, african-utility-week.com, and we will, as I say, put that up on our uh, Enviro Show Facebook page as well. Incidentally, whilst we're giving you information, DRD, the gold mine, if you'd like to get hold of them, the number is 011-470-2600, 11 and their media relations number is 11 880 well, last word on water this evening, a good news story in our green goodie feature. And don't forget, if you've got a green goodie, let us know in viro at safm.co.za. And at the event where I met Orange River swimmer Ray Chaplin on the banks of the Leesbik River in Cape Town, there was also the launch of a little boat designed to help keep the river clean. Well, I spoke to friends of the Leesbeck River member and water management lecturer at UCT, Kevin Winter.
0: Our big project has been to try to deal with the litter that collects in the lower end of the Leesbeck River as a result of some windblown papers and materials and so on, but very largely about stormwater that collects litter and also leaf litter and draws it into the lower part of the Leesbeck here. There's a lake at this point, and that's where everything ends up as the so-called environmental sink when it falls there it not only looks ugly but also there's a lot of breakdown of the leaf litter which adds nutrients into the water combined with some of the poor quality of water and we get an absolute forest of weeds that uh, collects all in this lake and we try to do two things on the one we are trying to get rid of the litter uh, which we have to do manually, there's virtually no other way of doing it and on the other hand we have to try and take the weed out manually Uh, rather than digging it out with a front-end mechanical loader. And that's why we need the two boats. We need to ensure that our boats, first of all, are able to get our workers into some of the trickiest parts on the river. Sometimes that's on the edges of the river, sometimes it's on the islands. And then we need to be able to load those boats and the, the weed, once it's um, waterlogged and also the, the litter as well, is very heavy. And the only way we found to be able to get that out uh, without uh, too much of a mechanical effort um, is to put them onto the water and to, to take them to the side from there. And from there on we dispose it, we've got um, very careful uh, measures of how we get that material eventually either to be um, disposed in a landfill site or else it gets recycled via the city's um, partnership that we have with them in dealing with the the waste found in the river.
1: So you've got your little boat now and she's just been christened, or she's had a bottle of bubbly broken over her bows. She'll be going out on a daily basis?
0: No, we will probably only deal with the lower part of the river here at odd times and the, the odd times are actually within a management plan which we have and those odd times for us are late summer time so usually it's around about March when we've had an accumulation of material here and we've got to try and make best use of our plans uh, and our resources and so we'll probably do a major clearing somewhere between March, April. Um, so we'll have probably two months. We will do some concentrated work, and then we'll leave them. We we'll literally will park that for um, eight or nine months. The rain will do a lot of the work. The problem doesn't really arise so much uh, because of the fast-flowing river, and then it starts all over again from around about November. We'll start to work with this, um, the edges a lot more. We we'll do a lot more the clearing, and then once again, February, March, April, we'll do a lot of the uh, clearing um, from the actual water body itself.
1: The objective being to clean up the river.
0: I think I think the, the, the big objective for us, apart from trying to restore the ecological habitats here, we also really want to make a river part of the public recreational ground. We, we really can't improve this river unless the public are first of all seen it as a, a place for recreation. And then once the public are down here, they become the ears and eyes of the, of the river, which is really important for us because then they become folk who can report things, take an interest in, build education projects around you. A whole lot of things start to happen when people see that there's a space in an urban area that they can start to use for um, a whole lot of variety of public spirited exercise and also commercial things as well. So that's the longer term. And I think what we're looking at right here in the lower section is potential to really revive an area and bring um, a lot of public initiative uh, back into this part um, of the river.
1: Well, that was Kevin Winter and a good organic idea there about cleaning up rivers. And if you'd like to find out more, uh, Kevin is a member of the Friends of the Leesbeck and their uh, email address is info at fol.org.za. But it was also good there to hear about the Whisper Boat Attack Academy who built that little boat. And I spoke to owner Mike Harvey Do
3: you get the connection. Plastics SA came to me and asked me for a donation or for a boat for the Friends of the Leesbeck. And yeah, because it's such a great initiative, we donated this from Whisper to Plastic SA for the Friends of the Leesbeck. And hopefully, it'll project into some of my learners knowing more about pollution and, and being aware of it and what, what the dangers are and uh, what it does to the environment and the, and the nature and the wildlife and so on.
1: This boat, this is your baby because you are a boat builder. Tell me a little bit about that.
3: Well, we. We take on 15 learners per over a six month period. Plastics SA do a theoretical training and uh, whisper boats do the practical training, which is about four months of the whole program. Initially, they, they start off doing very basic fiberglass laminating work. Thereafter, we break them up into teams and then they each build each team builds a different size boat. And occasionally, we get orders for a boat, which then goes to fund further funding our, our cause. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where we go. I think special about your team are that they are disabled in some way? They are all deaf, partially deaf and completely deaf.
1: I mean, How long does it take to train somebody up and how many boats are you able to produce?
3: We could produce 10 boats a month. However, we have to uh, look at the constraints of raw material costs and so on. And the basic training, I don't allow them into building a boat until I'm satisfied that they can carry on from the basics into something a little bit more complicated like this.
1: It seems to me that perhaps every river should have such a boat to clean it up. Do you think there is a market for you here?
3: Oh I wish, I wish. <laughs> the raw material costs are, are pretty high so it's not in everybody's bracket to actually buy a boat. Besides the the rules and regulations about owning a boat nowadays are pretty strict and uh, with the SAMHSA regulations. Well,
1: once you've got your litter collecting barge designed and up and running, I'm sure there'll be lots of orders.
3: Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. Because we definitely need more orders to bring more funding into the project and so on.
1: And what a wonderful project it is. That was Mike Harvey of the Whisper Boat Building Academy. And if you'd like to know a little bit more, you can check their site, which is www.wbba.com dot c o and once again, Boat Building Academy for the Deaf, wbba.co.za. And if you'd like to get your uh, river, your nearest river cleaned up, maybe you can just order a boat from him. And don't forget, if you've got a green goodie that you'd like to share with us here on the Enviro Show, you can uh, pop us an email, enviro at safm.co.za, or find us on Facebook, the Enviro Show on SAFM. Well, a very big thank you to the Green Team, the Green Dream Team. That's uh, Kim Winter and uh, Skiapos, and I'm Nancy Richards. And I'll be back again tomorrow with otherwise.